Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast. This is the podcast ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we are digging back into our archives to deliver a message from Pastor Roy on the love of God. This comes from a series entitled, God is Big Enough. Here's Pastor Roy from Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. As we finished that last song, I couldn't help but add the words, thank you. Thank you. His wounds have paid our ransom. What a great segue into our message today as we talk about the love of God. And I have to confess, I don't know where Ella is sitting this morning. Where is Ella? She's looking at the outline this morning and is like, that is not the outline I printed on Friday. And I confess to her, it is true. It is not the outline she printed and had ready to go in the bulletin. I woke up yesterday morning and I was still wrestling. I told her on Friday I have four outlines for the message. She said, well, just preach one, two, three, and four. And, uh, but I just was not comfortable um, in trying to grasp the love of God in one message. <laughs> this is obviously not going to exhaust it in any way, shape, or form. But I trust that we will gain a greater appreciation of God's love as we look at and consider and contemplate these three considerations that we want to look at this morning. And so, and with that, um, I want to mention what the three are, and then we're going to work our way back through them. So I'm going to tell you the three right up front, so don't go to sleep on me after I tell you. Uh, But we want to work through them, and I trust you will gain a greater appreciation for the love of God. The first one is characteristic is the necessity of God's love. It is absolutely necessary. Secondly is the reality of God's love, that it is real, and it is something our world desperately needs, and we as humans desperately need. The third one is the fidelity of God's love, that it is faithful in its approach You know, a husband knows his wife loves him when she returns a dress she can't afford. Um, I thought that was kind of humorous. Maybe you've already gone to sleep after I gave you the outline. Um, But this morning, the first one we want to look at this morning is the necessity of God's love. Why is it necessary? It is necessary because we live in a broken world world. Our world is absolutely broken. It is fragmented. It is in pain. It is in agony. It is in chaos. It is in confusion. Let me give you an example. I copied off some lyrics to a song and I didn't even catch who the singer was because it didn't happen to say on this particular website I was looking on. But the song is called, I'm Through With Love. And it must have been addressed to a guy named Joe. I'm through with love, I'll never fall again. Say adieu to love, don't ever call again. For I must have you or no one, and so I'm through with love. Now listen to these words. It shows you the pain and the hurt and the brokenness of our world. I've locked my heart I'll keep my feelings there. I've stocked my heart with icy, frigid air. 
And I mean to fall for no one because I'm through with love. Why did you lead me to think you could care? You didn't need me because you had your share of friends around you to hound you and swear with deep emotion and devotion to you. Goodbye to spring and all it meant to me. It could never bring the thing that used to be. For I must have you or no one, and so I'm through with love. Here is someone who has a misperception of love. Someone who has been deeply hurt, bruised, wounded, broken. And that's why God's love is necessary. The reality of heartache and rejection reminds us that we live in a broken world. And I want to give us some statistics that hopefully will, again, in a fresh way, slap us in the face and wake us up to the necessity of the love of God in our world that people need the love of God. I went out to the domestic violence website and here are some of the sobering statistics every nine seconds in the u.s a woman is assaulted or beaten that is 390 women an hour if i did my math right approximately in the united states is there a necessity for god's love around the world at least one in every three women has been beaten, coerced into sex, or otherwise abused during her lifetime. Most often, the abuser is a member of her own family. We live in a broken world. Domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women, more than car accidents, muggings, and rapes combined. Studies suggest that up to 10 million children witness some form of domestic violence annually. How many people live in South Dakota? Less than a million. More than 10 times the population of our state. Nearly one in five teenage girls who have been in a relationship said a boyfriend threatened violence or self-harm if presented with a breakup. Every day in the U.S., more than three women are murdered by their husbands or boyfriends. The costs of intimate partner violence in the U.S. alone exceed $5.8 billion a year. So I think if we're going to understand the necessity of God's love, we have to be reminded that the world is a broken place and it needs God's love desperately. Sin has caused this brokenness. This brokenness caused by sin broke our relationship with God who desired a love relationship with us. Adam and Eve did not trust what God said. They believed God was withholding something from them. The result of this brokenness has several consequences and I want us to go back just for a moment to Genesis chapter 3. Because this is where the brokenness started. Genesis chapter 3. And there were four results, actually more than that, that we can see as a result of this brokenness in our relationship with God. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate it after they were commanded not to, by the way. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. God among the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was what? Afraid. He was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then God asked him, did you eat of the tree I told you not to? And of course, he blames his wife. And we still do that, don't we, men? All right, we, we won't go there long. But the result of this brokenness has several consequences. Number one is fear. You see, there is a fear. How many people in our world today are living in a state of fear? And yet the Bible says that God's perfect love does what to fear? It casts it out. But because we have violated his law, we have separated ourselves from God, we have separated ourselves from his love. And so there is a necessity for the love of God for people to function without fear. Many people live in fear. I did something wrong. I was afraid of being found out. I better run and hide. How many people today are running and hiding because of things they've done wrong? Some from their spouse, some from their children. Maybe what you did even this weekend. You are running in fear that you might be found out. You know, it's interesting to me as I read through this text once again that Adam and Eve experienced fear because I believe they had a God-given conscience to convict them that it was wrong. Somebody said that conscience is not the voice of God, it is the gift of God. You know, some of us will not open ourselves to God because we have things in our life that are not right. I will not give this up if I have to open my heart to God and show this to him. So there's fear. Secondly, there is shame. What did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. We see the first seamstress in the Bible. The first dress, as it were, to cover themselves because they felt shame for their disobedience to God. Now they are not experiencing the love of God anymore. They're experiencing fear and shame Two things of which God never intended for them to experience, as far as we can tell. And yet today, there are many people living in fear and shame. Shame because of their horrible, horrible life choices that they've made. They are ashamed and they stay away from church and they stay away from the Bible and they stay away from God's people because they're living in shame. And yet God is there with arms to receive them and forgive them if they'll receive his love. 
My shame separates me from God. How could a person possibly face God when they clearly violated his clear spoken word? This separation from God brings not only a wedge between me and God, but it brings a wedge in between me and you. And that's, therein lies the problem with domestic violence and other problems in our world. The third thing that was experienced was guilt. Fear, shame, guilt. I have not lived up to what God has said in his word. Now that guilt will drive me to do one of two things. I will confess it and repent of it and turn to God and say, God, I am sorry, I am guilty. Or I will find a way to justify it and rationalize it and say, well, it's not my fault and not take personal responsibility for it. But when I do that, when I rationalize my sin and I justify it before God, I am stiff-arming his love. God, I don't need your love. God, I don't need you to help me live my life. And we stiff-arm God out of our life. And then we wind up with statistics like I just read a few moments ago. The fourth thing that happened, of course, there was pain in childbirth, but death. There was pain in childbirth. There was pain by working by the sweat of our brow, but death. If you go to verse 19, he says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The brokenness that sin has brought We have a necessity for the love of God. Do you have a neighbor, family member, co-worker, acquaintance? Do you think about the necessity of God's love in their life? You think about the direction of their life and they need the necessity of God's love Fear, shame, guilt, and death has brought much heartache and brokenness, has it not, into our lives. Pain and difficulty will cause us to cling to something. I can cling to my pain. I can focus on my brokenness. Or I can choose to live in fear or love. I can hide myself from others because of my shame, or I can come clean and experience the forgiveness and love of God. I can wallow in my guilt, or I can enjoy the freedom of my guilt if I will receive the love of God. The third thing I want to mention here that I think is vital is that human love cannot fix our broken world. We can try as hard as we want to to start loving one another and treating our neighbor right and doing all those things, but we will fall short of fixing the problem when we look at the depth of our depravity, the deception of the enemy would cause us to believe that we can live and develop our own utopia apart from the love of God. It is false. We cannot. 
as humans, we have a misperception of what love is. It starts young, doesn't it? I mean, ask a six-year-old, what does love mean to you? Well, it means when my mom and dad let me eat all the ice cream I want. You know, that's love, you know. Ask a teenager, what is love to you? When my parents let me do whatever I want, however I want. Stay out as late as I want. That's love. I mean, everybody has their definition of love. We've got to come back to the basics of the Bible to see where love, the definition of love. I think of Etta James, who had a song, A Sunday Kind of Love. Listen to these words. I want a Sunday kind of love, a love to last past Saturday night. I'd like to know it's more than love at first sight, and I want a Sunday kind of love. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want a love that's on the square, can't seem to find somebody, someone to care. And I'm on a lonely road that leads to nowhere. I need a Sunday kind of love. I do my Sunday dreaming, oh yeah, and all my Sunday scheming, every minute, every hour, every day, and I'm hoping to discover a certain kind of lover who will show me the way. And my arms need someone, someone to enfold, to keep me warm when Mondays and Tuesdays grow cold. Love for all my life to have and to hold. Oh, I want a Sunday kind of love. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, oh, nothing but a Sunday kind of love. I want a Sunday, Sunday, I want a Sunday kind of love. Oh, yeah, Sunday, Sunday kind of love. And that's where our world is today, a misperception of love. I want to give you a statement. And each, at the end of each of these three points today, the necessity of love and each of the other two, I have a summary statement that I hope will stick in your brain and you will remember this because it is going to help all of us, I believe, help me, appreciate God's love. Here's the summary statement. Our necessity of God's love will grow as we understand the depth of our sinfulness before a holy God. You see, we have lost the appreciation of God's love because we have lost the depth of our depravity. The depth of the pit from which God has dug us, we have forgotten who has purged us from our sin. When you and I stop and contemplate how messed up and broken up our world is, we will really begin to grasp the necessity of God's love for this sin-sick world. The second characteristic we need to consider this morning is the reality of God's love. You see, God's character is love. We don't have time to go into all the passages, but if you go into 1 John, it says over and over, God is love, and he is. So therefore, because his character is love, God loves you and me, not based on, it's based on his character, not my conduct. Unlike the young man who, he had a bad report card. And he was wondering, how do I break the news to dad that I have this bad report card? 
And so he grabbed one of his dad's old report cards along with his, and he walked in and said, Dad, here's my report card, and here's one of yours. (laughs) Dad looked it over, and he said, Son, I'm going to give you the same thing my father gave me for my report card. (laughs) Performance. It is not our performance. If you go back into Romans chapter 9, the Bible says, Esau, or Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I what? Hated. And God said this, and he didn't mean hate in the sense of hate, but he meant that God providentially was choosing Jacob through which the line of the Messiah would come based on his love and his sovereignty. He chose Jacob over Esau before they were born. To show that it was not his behavior, it was not his conduct, it was simply the providential, selective choice of God. God's character is love. But we live in a performance-based culture. My performance will determine my advancement, my success, my title. My gifts and talents will give me certain rewards and achievements. And yet it, it doesn't mean a hill of beans to God. God's character is perfect, therefore his love is perfect. You don't need to turn there, but let me just read briefly from Psalm 136. If you get the time this afternoon, jot down Psalm 136 and just read through it. I cannot do it justice here this morning to think about God's love. But every phrase at the end of every verse in this chapter says, His love endures forever. He talks about give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. And it goes on and on. When he led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, his love endures forever. God has always been about relationship, a love relationship with his people from the beginning that he breathed into man the breath of life. That's his desire and his passion. God's love never fails, according to 1 Corinthians 13. God's love for Israel never wavered even when Israel turned its back on God and began to worship and serve idols and false gods. God's love never wavered. God's love for Peter was never in jeopardy even when he denied Christ. God's love for Paul, when Paul was a sinner and he was going around persecuting the church, God reached out and pursued a relationship with Paul. God's character is love, but the other aspect of the reality of God's love is God established a covenant for a love relationship. You see, when man sinned, if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, If you flip over to Genesis chapter 6, God's heart was filled with grief and pain 
when he saw the wickedness, the Bible says, and the corruption, and it says the earth was filled with what? Violence. And it hasn't changed. We just read statistics about domestic violence. We live in a violent, broken, corrupt, wicked world. So we need the reality of God's love. God establishes this covenant. He just tells Noah, I am going to destroy the earth with water, but I'm going to spare you and your family, and I am going to establish a covenant with you, a covenant of love. Man did not counsel God about establishing a covenant. We did not say, God, it would be a good idea if, God, it would be wonderful if, God in his loving heart and in his sovereignty chose to spare a family. And we need to be reminded of the loving act of God in doing that. And if you look in chapter 6, verse 18, and actually the end of verse 17, in 17, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth. Listen what he says, to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But look at the next verse, but. If it wasn't for that but, we wouldn't be here. God established a covenant with Noah, and we are the recipients of God establishing that covenant because that covenant is carried to us today. And he says in 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your son's wives with you. And God gives him instruction, but only because of his covenant. And God has honored that covenant ever since the day he spoke it. That's love. That's the reality of God's love. Everything God does is based on his covenant. The Bible is comprised of two testaments, right? Old Testament, New Testament. Another word for testament is covenant. The old covenant and the new covenant. God has established a covenant with us that he is, his love will never end for his children. The Hebrew word translated covenant is barenth, which means a compact made by passing between pieces of flesh, confederacy, covenant, and league. We won't take the time to read it, but later in the book of Genesis, God puts Abraham to sleep, and he has an animal cut in pieces, and it says a flaming torch passes between the pieces of the animal and that was the Spirit of God establishing a covenant. I wish we had time to talk more about covenant today. But we'll have to save that for another time. But it was because God established this love relationship with us. If we go to Genesis chapter 9, I will take a moment just to look at Genesis chapter 9 because we need to see this. In Genesis chapter 9... 
in verses 8 to 19. I just want to take a time, moment and read this. And if you have a pen or pencil and you'd like to mark your Bible, I would encourage you to circle or mark every time the word covenant is used. It is used eight times in this passage alone. Eight times. It is used 298 times in the Bible. Look beginning in verse 8. Chapter 9, Genesis. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth, and there hasn't to this day because of God's covenant. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant, what does it say, for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant. When you see a rainbow, it is a visual reminder that God made a covenant that he would not destroy the earth with a flood. It's a sign. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember, listen to this, the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all of life on the earth. Who established the covenant? God and God alone. You talk about love. You talk about reality. You talk about relationship. God initiated a covenant of love. That you and I might be in relationship with him today. But we confuse God's love. And I need to remind all of us about this third point. God's love for me is sometimes demonstrated through his discipline. God spanks his children. I never liked spanking such a child. I like him even less as an adult. But you know what? When I look back, the spankings God has given me, I'm thankful. Not at the time, but I'm thankful. God loves us enough to teach, to train, to instruct, to shape us into the image of his son. He says in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, he says, and here's his admonition, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. In other words, don't treat it like a small matter. When God disciplines you, take it to heart. Don't just spurn God's discipline. Take it to heart. God, change me. When I am disciplined, help me to recognize it. Help me to repent. Confess my sin to you because you are trying to keep me on the path of righteousness. So I experience that love relationship. 
Many of you have met my father when he was here. My dad is a big man. I mean, he had five extra links put in his watch band so it would fit around his wrist. I mean, all he had to do when you got messed up in church is look at you down the pew. Man, the fear of God came over me. I mean, I knew I was in trouble when I got home. I never wanted to go home. (laughs) But how much more our Heavenly Father loves us enough to discipline us and to tell us the truth. The most loving thing God can do is tell us the truth and correct us. So when he says, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord, he says, disciplines those he loves. And when it says he disciplines those he loves, he means someone he loves with strong affection. And he finds joy in correcting us. Why? Because we're a little bit more like Jesus. A little bit more of a reflection of his image to a lost world who needs God's love. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Rebuke is even more severe than discipline. But God does it because he loves us. And he wants us to grow through it. It says the Lord also disciplines those he loves and he punishes. He punishes every son that he loves, accepts as a son. And when it talks about he punishes, it means he whips with the idea of even drawing blood. That's how much he cares for us. And be reminded of this. Discipline can only be administered by the person who is in authority. If you are not in an authority over someone, you cannot discipline them. God is in authority. He has the right and he has the wisdom to discipline us. Benjamin Franklin said, those things that hurt, instruct. You know, the story is told of a little boy. He was out in a, in a pond, and he had a little toy boat that was floating in the, in the pond. And the boat began to drift away. He couldn't get it. And a man came by, and he saw the boat and out in the pond. And, he, and, the, and the man did something very interesting. He picked up some stones And he began to launch them into the water past the boat. And the little boy was bewildered, like, you're disturbing the water. What are you doing? You're going to ruin But pretty soon, those stones that went in the water created a ripple effect. And what happened? That boat drifted back to shore. Isn't that what God does with us? If necessary... He will throw a stone in the pond of our sinfulness to create a ripple effect to bring us back to him because he loves us that much. That's how much he cares for us. Oswald Chambers said, God will never shield you from any of the requirements of a son or daughter of his. It does not matter how it hurts, 
as long as it gives God the chance to manifest himself in your mortal flesh. Let me give you the summary statement for point two. When we experience the reality of God's love, we begin to learn about his character. Not just his attribute, we begin to learn about his character, his heart. The third thing that I would, characteristic I would like us to consider this morning is the fidelity of God's love. God's love is faithful. It is consistent. It doesn't waver. You know, people are fickle. God is faithful. People waver. God is solid and steadfast. His love never changes. It is consistent. It originated in his creation. It was revealed in his incarnation. It was demonstrated in his crucifixion. And it was magnified in his resurrection. The love of God has been consistent from the beginning of time. God created the world in six days, and somebody said he created it in six days, which probably never could have happened if there had been labor unions. <laughs> but there weren't. Revealed, listen, in his incarnation. Let's just take a moment to think about that. The word became flesh. He left a perfect heaven, perfect relationship with the Father to take upon himself the weakness of human flesh to do what? So you and I could have a relationship. But not just that. He was born in a stable in a feeding trough. And in that feeding trough he rested until 33 years later, he would give his life on the cross. Talk about the fidelity of love. Giving his life on the cross. And Jesus, didn't he say, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the fidelity of God's love. He laid down his life he took upon himself the form of a servant. He experienced humiliation and ridicule and scorn. That's love. How much will you take for somebody? Demonstrated in his crucifixion. For God so loved the world. And he goes on. Magnified in his resurrection. The second aspect of the fidelity of God's love is it is sufficient. What problem do you have that God's love can't soothe? Insecurity, fear, pain, rejection, hurt. You have a loving father who wants to take you in and embrace you and hug you and kiss away the pain. 
What more could you want? And not only that, he has given us an invitation to join him in eternity forever. Forever. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, love, and the God of all comfort. There's no pain too deep that his love cannot comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. When you and I receive that comfort, guess what? We become comfort channels through which to comfort other people. And they say people who need love the most deserve it the least. And God has called you and I to be channels through which his comfort and love can flow to a lost, broken, hurting world. God's love is to minister hope and comfort when I experience pain and difficulty. The third aspect of the fidelity of God's love is it is authentic. It is pure. It is unmixed. It is uncontaminated love. There's no jealousy. There's no envy. There's no ulterior motive. It is pure unadulterated love. Wow. We don't even have that in marriage. The fourth aspect, it is secure. Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing and then he gives a whole litany of things that could potentially separate us from God. Shall tribulation, he says. Do you know what the word tribulation means there, besides trouble? The word actually was a word that meant flail. A flail was a long stick, a little longer than a broomstick. And it had a leather thong attached to it, and it had a smaller piece of wood attached to that so that you could beat the wheat and separate the chaff from the wheat. The whole purpose of a flail was separation, to separate the wheat from the chaff. It was designed to separate. And Paul says that not even a flail, and, and, and the reason Paul wrote that, remember, Christians were being persecuted badly. Not even being beaten with a flail will separate us from the love of God. Prisonment, distress, hardship, peril, famine, nakedness, None of it, he says, will separate us from the love of God. I don't know where else we find that kind of security rather than Christ. Let me give you the third summary statement. God's love is designed to minister hope and comfort when I experience pain 
and difficulty. That's what it's designed to do. And I actually have one additional summary statement, and I won't charge you any extra for it, I promise. But I just, I just had to include this because to come full circle with God's love, for you and I to experience it is one thing, but we need to give it out. Here's the second statement. God's love is designed to transform us into people who will love our fellow believers and those who don't know Christ. We are having a super summer jam. If you have experienced and understand the necessity of God's love, and you have experienced the reality of God's love, and you have enjoyed the fidelity of God's love, would you not be an instrument through which God's love can flow this summer? Every day, you may have a neighbor, you may have a family member who has no concept that God has established a covenant to be in relationship with them. I know many of you have probably seen Beauty and the Beast. I've seen it. It's been some years ago. The Beast had a terrible voice and a terrible personality. He was a nothing. But you know there was a beauty, and you probably know the story. All the Beast needed to change was somebody to love him. As the story would have it, as soon as somebody loved him, he wasn't a beast anymore. There are some beasts outside these doors, right here in our town. They need somebody to love them while they're a beast. In fact, we may have some beasts in the parking lot after church. I don't know. But all I know is God's love can transform that beast because it's a covenant love. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I don't know what you are dealing with this morning, but I do know this. God's love is reaching out to you. We have one of two responses. We can stiff arm the love of God. But God will keep pursuing you. That's his character. You stiff arm him, he is going to keep coming after you. Will you give up the stiff arm? Maybe you are protecting and you are cherishing and you are harboring secret sin in your life and you feel like you are succeeding because nobody else knows about it. You are failing because God knows. Secret sin is no secret to God. And you are stiff-arming his love.
in pride? Would you be willing to humble yourself and receive the love of God? Jesus Christ loved us enough. He extended his arms on the cross. He made every provision possible for you and I to be in a personal relationship with him. He has given it in a book. He speaks to us through messages, through circumstances. Have you responded? Maybe it's a good reminder for each of us to be reminded that we live in a broken world. There are many, many broken people we will see this week. McDonald's, gas station, supermarket. Every place we go, there's going to be broken people. If we have experienced the reality of God's love, we need to share it. We need to do what we can to make God's love known to a lost world. And we need to let people know that God made a covenant to be in relationship with us. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is your opportunity. You can come here to the front, kneel here at the stairs, or if you'd like to talk to someone, I'll be willing to talk to you after the service. If you are dealing with a spiritual challenge and you need someone to pray with, please see myself at the door or grab another brother or sister in Christ and pray with them. Please don't reject his love another day. I plead with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you saw the necessity of sending your love to this world. And you didn't just send it by an angel. You didn't send it by some other messenger. You sent it in the person of Christ. What an act of love. What an act of kindness to lead us to repentance, to pay for our redemption, to purchase us from the slave market of sin that we could be forgiven. God, we thank you for establishing a covenant, a love relationship covenant because you long to be in relationship with us. Lord, we live in a broken world and we need to be channels through which your love can flow to those who are yet beasts, as it were, in their sin, that they might experience the kindness and love of God. And Lord, those of us who know you as Savior, that we would be those kind of agents rushing to those who need your love. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who has never experienced the love of God personally in their life, or, or maybe they have, but they've wandered off the path, 
God, would you gently, lovingly nudge them back? Would that sinner be willing to confess their sin this morning to you and become your child and learn to walk with you and be an instrument through which you can use? Lord, I pray that Bethesda Church will be that kind of church that is characterized by the love of God in and through our lives, not only inside these walls, but more importantly, outside these walls, in the community, as we come in contact with people, give us sensitivity as your representatives. And Lord, let us not run away from discipline when you need to discipline us. Help us to hear and to change. Lord, I thank you for your patient love and dealing in our lives. Father, we love you and we exalt you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.